present God's will. Living presently in God's will. Before we begin reading in James, I want to take just a moment here, and I wanted to make sure that uh, this is recorded for our podcasts and things here that we have that go out as well, of course, as well as the videoing and the uh, live streaming and such. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that, kind of going back from last week, when we began to look at the subject that we entitled Damage Control, and we spoke about what James says in uh, verses number 11 and 12 of speak not evil one of another. And as we spoke of that, we gave the context in which James speaks of as far as a doctrinal difference. If you'll remember, we spoke of Peter going and witnessing to some Gentiles. And as he was witnessing to Gentiles, the Jews at Jerusalem were at odds. We're thinking, what were you, are you doing? Uh, what gave you that right, in essence, in their heart and minds anyway, to, be, uh, to go and to talk to the Gentiles about the gospel? And of course, he told them what happened and told them how God gave instruction. And we gave the right context there, but I wanted to just make sure that it was ultra, ultra, ultra clear that as we think about this, this is not and was not in any way to be meaning of a hiding or a containment of sin. Um, if there is sin, if there is a, an abuse or something criminal that is going on, that needs to be exposed. That needs to be brought forward. Uh, James was not, and I wanted to make sure it was ultra clear and brought clear clarity. Uh, clear clarity. Uh, I'll be a little redundant here, uh, just for the sake of meaning how strongly I feel about that. There's been too many churches and too many scandals across all spectrums. I can't just say it's the Catholic. I can't say it's just uh, uh, one denomination or one group, but there has happened too many times where sin has gone on and it needed to be exposed and it needed to be reported and it needed to be dealt with and justice needed to be done. And so I wanted to kind of give that addendum from last week. I felt as though uh, afterwards the Holy Spirit just wanted me to make that ultra clear tonight and I wanted to make sure that we're on the same page here that is speaking of doctrine uh, I'm talking about secondary doctrines and doctrines in which we truly are, uh, are, are, are working through sometimes even preferentially. And, uh, but there are things in which, uh, as we look at the Word of God, one might prefer to do things just a little different, and that's okay. Uh, but when it comes to the pure Word of God, doctrine, what God is teaching us, uh, God has some core doctrines. We believe in the gospel. That truly is something in which we are firmly founded upon. And uh, we want to get the gospel out, and we truly uphold that, and we can, will continue to do so. But when it comes to things, even about things like the rapture, we'll mention that here in just a little bit in our as we look through James chapter 4, um, I, I, some might have different prefer or might have different uh, leanings in doctrine to that. Uh, I'm not going to speak evil of those things. Uh, each one has to come and see the truth of what the Word of God has to say. And uh, there's a right season and a right moment in which to talk and to speak of 
and began to speak of damage control, of not speaking evil one another. Uh, we're speaking of those who believe in the gospel, who speak and who are wanting to go forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're not talking about sin, abuse, scandals, and not talking about any of that stuff. Uh, that happens in every sector, every part of society. And sadly, it happens in the church because, let's face it, we are sinners saved by grace and none of us are perfect. And uh, that sadly does happen. We need to be vigilant and be careful and be watchful that we don't allow or give place to Satan to have an inroad here in our ministry. And we need to be watchful of that. So I wanted to be clear. I hope that's ultra clear. And now that we got that clear clarified, let's look, please, at James chapter 4, verse number 13. And let's read through the end of the chapter tonight. Notice what Scripture says. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy, and sell, and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live, and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Father, once again, we ask for your help. We ask for your wisdom now as we look at this thought of living presently in God's will. And God, I pray that you would help us tonight to have a right heart and a right motive and a right spirit as we look at the word of God. Teach us now, Holy Spirit, I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're going to jump right into things this evening. I want to look, first of all, this evening at the warning of focusing completely on the future. Look at what the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse number 13. We read it just a moment ago. Let's read it one more time. Notice what the Bible says. Go to now. That word, those words, go to now, would be similar to the terminology that we would use of come now. Really? He's focusing, he's transitioning here. He says, ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and stay. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. And we'll stop there. James here is trying to put some things in perspective among the brethren, among Christians. Have you ever heard the stating, don't count your chickens before they hatch? Sometimes we get ahead and we begin looking and we begin counting on things that may or may not come. Hence that statement. We don't know if everything that we think we're planning is going to come to fruition. And so James warns us and gives us some wisdom here about making plans. James here is picturing people who are making plans, preparing for tomorrow, preparing for next year preparing for travels, preparing for a business trip, preparing for these different avenues, he warns us about making a focus of those plans. Now, James was himself a businessman. He worked with his father, certainly as a carpenter. He knew what it was like to have to have business dealings and have to go and purchase 
timber and to go and get the wood and materials and the tools, he understood what it was like to have to go and to get the things in which was needed to make or to do the business in which, yea, his father had. He understood what that was like. Is there a wrong dealing with that, of making plans in such a way? What is the problem? Why is James speaking of this? What is it that he is focusing upon, upon making plans that he's pulling out to warn us about, uh, about making our purpose or our sole future into the hands of these ideas? Look at what the Bible teaches us in Luke chapter 12. We're going to look at a parable tonight. And as we look at this parable this evening in Luke chapter 12, I want us to see how Jesus addressed this, addressed this very issue uh, or this very thing of preparing for tomorrow. Notice what the Bible says in Luke 12, verse number 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do because I have no room to uh, no room where to bestow my fruits? Stop there for just a moment. Picture this, if you will. J Jesus is telling a parable, a story, a truth that a truth with a principle, a truth with a uh, uh, a story with a truth principle involved in it. That's what a parable is. And the Bible teaches us, as Jesus teaches us, this story with a truth in it, that there is a rich man. Who had a great harvest his crops yielded wonderfully when autumn came he was looking to see where he could put all his fruits there was no room to put all the all the crops there was so much he wondered what should i do with these i don't need to sell these and certainly he didn't have to in fact if he sold them at this time Jesus insinuates that he would not have gotten what he wanted to from the yield. He would have sold it on a saturated market or on a flooded market. And doing so, of course, the price that he would sell would be minimal compared to what would have happened if he would, as we'll see in just a moment, build barns and to store that grain, to store the harvest there that had happened. And so he's left with a decision. Do I sell now and not get as much as I could? Or do I wait? What do I do? If I wait, I have an issue. I don't have any room to keep all these, uh, all, uh, all these crops, all this harvest. Notice how the Bible continues as Jesus continues speaking. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. So the rich man decides, I'm not going to sell now. I don't want to sell in this flooded market. I want to get a better price for my crop. I don't need to sell now. I can last for years without selling what I have. And so I'm going to pull down my barns, build bigger so I can put this larger harvest in those larger barns. He anticipated selling for a considerable amount, highest gain for his harvest. 
that's not a sinful thing of wanting to be a wise investor or a wise planner with one's funds. There's nothing wrong at this point with what this rich man is doing, but we get into different grounds. Notice what Jesus teaches us here. And I say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure, notice this words, for himself and is not rich toward God. Is it wrong to be a wise investor and to have a good portfolio and to make sure that you're investing wisely and to make sure that you have savings and that you have investments and that you're yielding gain on the funds in which God gives you? That's not wrong at all. However, the wrong thinking is where we see in verse number 21. The Bible says, So he that layeth up for himself and is not rich towards God. Here's where the unhealthy thinking and mindset comes in. He had no thought or no care or concern for what God wanted him to do. He had all his future planned out. He knew that he had funds to last for years and years and years. He was well invested. He was well endowed. And yet he chose to do that which was physically pleasing with no thought of what God wanted and desired him to do. This, this ethical investor investor in crops, investor in his fields, was being a good steward, but he was doing so at the, at the neglect of choosing to ignore what God No thought or care for what God's will was. Where's the problem in that? Look at what the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 8, please. Go all the way back to the law and to see a principle that God gives. Deuteronomy chapter 8, notice what the Bible says in verse number 11. The Bible says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, and his judgments, and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses, and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, that then, uh, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Look at verse number 17. And thou say in thine heart, my power and the power and the might in hand but God 
cutting out. All right. Is that better? Can you hear me now? Apologize. Okay. We've sorry about that. We've got uh, some new systems. We're working through the new systems here. But notice what the Bible says. Uh, where were we? Verse number 17. The Bible says, And now say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that hath or that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do at all, forget the Lord thy God, and walk. Sorry. Okay. All right. Um, which microphone should I use? This one. Okay. All right. Okay. Wanted to make sure. Where was I? Let's try one more time. And walk after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. You see, there were times in which God wanted the children of Israel to, uh, uh, to take what was a abundance of wealth and to give it and to for it to be a time of giving to others of giving to those who were needy to take some of the abundance of wealth and to share that and to be a blessing to others notice what the bible says in deuteronomy chapter number 15 notice what the bible says in verse number seven if there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren with any, uh, with any of thy gates in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother, but thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need, and that which he wanted. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 10 now. Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. For the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, and to thy needy in thy land." The Bible teaches us that there are times where God wants us to have a giving hand, wants us to open our hand instead of having a clenched fist upon what we are possessing and accumulating. And there are times where God wants us to take what is in our hand and to give it and to generously give it. That is a seeking heart that is following what God instructs. About a year ago, there were some situations that were arose as the news of a possible pan or the po or, or the pandemic was beginning to break and possible lockdowns. There was some panic buying, and if you remember, a year ago there was one thing that was the hot item, something as simple as toilet roll. And this toilet roll would be something that people would go and gather. And there were some who seized this moment and began to accumulate all that they could. Not because they needed it, 
but because they wanted to turn around and sell it on places like eBay and uh, Facebook and other places for a profit. They wanted to make sure that they got a sizable increase off of what they spent. Some were selling it for an insane and incredible amount, and these companies stepped in and said, and another authority stepped in and said, wait a minute, that's not right to do so. That's wrong for you to do what you have been doing. That's not proper. It's not ethical. That's what God is speaking of here. That's the similar situation in which we are seeing. This rich man had some wealth. This rich man had some crops. This rich man had some abundance. And he never gave thought to the poor. He never never gave thought to what God may want him to do with those around him that had need of giving and being a blessing and a help to those who were struggling. This rich man foolishly desired for all of himself, never giving thought for what God desired, what God's will was. And in doing so, he foolishly neglected his own spirit. Look at what the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 12, verse number 19 once again. The Bible says, and this rich man said, and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much good laid up for many years. We'll come back to that phrase in just a moment. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. This rich man's focus was a fo- truly only upon about what his physical needs were. And he truly failed to recognize his spiritual needs that God truly only could supply. This rich man was confused and negligent about his body, soul, and spirit that God so wondrously makes us in the image of himself as. This rich man foolishly neglected his spirit to his own detriment. Notice the Bible teaches us in verse number 20, once again, notice these phrase of his taking or his moments of taking this for granted, his time for granted. The Bible tells us that he said, I have laid up for many years, many years. He truly had everything planned out. Everything was sorted. Everything was in place as he thought. But notice what God says in verse number 20. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The Bible teaches us that this man, having years planned ahead, was going to have his life ended that very night. He was going to breathe his own breath, or his own last breath, that very evening. The Bible says he had many years planned, insinuating that he was probably a young man, a young rich man with a bright future, so he thought ahead. But God had a different plan. God had a different desire. God had a different will for his life. 
and he chose to neglect it. Jesus teaches us through this powerful principle and through this powerful parable the foolishness of making plans without acknowledging the very God who shapes the future ahead. This rich man made great grand plans, but not once in this story did this man ever consider what God's will was. James takes up this approach as uh, in his wise counsel to Christians. We make plans, but do we ever consider in our plans what God desires, what God wants? Go back to James chapter 4, please. Verse number 13. I want us to read it one more time. He says, Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow, will we go into a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain? Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. We don't know what's going to happen in the future, do we? There are some that claim they do. A man named John Phillips tells a story of a traveling preacher that would come and would stay at his home when he was a boy. His parents loved to be hospitable people and enjoyed hosting and welcoming traveling preachers like this one man. They would welcome them for a meal and for a place to stay and a bed to sleep upon even in the difficult times when uh, when world war ii was taking place this was something that they enjoyed to do even though everything was heavily rationed on this one particular occasion as this traveling preacher was staying with his family his this preacher began to tell of an encounter that he had had recently he, as he traveled, came across an old gypsy woman. She approached him and she said to him, Cross my palm with silver and I'll read your, for, uh, I'll read your fortune for you, master, uh, 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 mister. Do you mean to say, this preacher said, that if I give you some money, you'll tell me what is going to happen in the future? She began to assure and to console him that she would definitively tell him what was going to happen in the future. Well, he said, let me get very specific right now. If I give you some money, can you tell me what I'll be doing this time, exact time, tomorrow? She assured that she could with certainty. This preacher looked at her and said, ah, but you see, my friend, I don't believe you can tell me what I'll be doing tomorrow. But I'll cross your palm with silver twice if you'll just tell me what I was doing yesterday. And upon that, that gypsy woman walked away. The deal was off. She could not tell this man what he did yesterday, let alone what he would do tomorrow. Only God knows tomorrow. Only God knows what will take place. So many have tried 
to step into that role of telling the future. There have been in recent days and throughout, yea, even the realms of uh, the realms of history, people like soothsayers, psychics, astrologers, even spiritists, who have tried to foretell the future and have been proven wrong so, so many times. Even some so-called prophets have forecasted when the rapture will take place. I remember in recent years, back when 1999 was about to end and the year 2000 was about to begin, there was a lot of hysteria, a lot of talking going on at that time. I remember that there were some so-called prophets stating that exactly at uh, exactly at midnight on New Year's be, or New Year's Day beginning, Jesus Christ was going to come back. The rapture was going to happen at exactly at midnight on New Year's on New Year's morning. Some said that the banks would go into foreclosure, would cease to begin trading because of the computer systems that would not be able to handle going into the next year. There were utilities foretold that would uh, uh, cease to function and cease to give their supply of electricity or water. They would not be able to continue functioning once that year 2000 hit. Those of you who have been around for a few years, you remember that time. You remember all the hysteria and all the speaking and all the talking about that time. So many people began to make claims and to state that this was going to happen. And what took place? <laughs> when 12 o'clock New Year's Day that morning took place, what happened? It continued to tick. Jesus did not come. The electricity continued to go. The water continued to flow. Things continued just as they had. Oh, they made claims, but they were sorely wrong. All these things truly have come and gone, proving they were once again very wrong. The frailty of our lives and trying to discern our lives truly is impossible. No one knows when we are going to die. No one knows what is going to happen tomorrow. We do not. It's impossible for us to know this. Only God knows when that last breath will enter our lungs, when our heart will beat for its last time. James says our life is like a vapor. It appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. We don't know how much time we have left. We don't know if we'll have the rest of the evening, tomorrow, or next year. Is it wrong to make plans? I don't think it's wrong to make plans as long as we recognize that we are yielding, as we'll see in just a moment, to the will of God. Secondly, this evening... James teaches us the wisdom of completely focusing upon God's will. We mentioned this verse one more once again just a moment ago, but I want us to focus in on a different different aspect of it. 
the last part of verse number 14, we read it just a moment ago. Let's read it one more time. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. When we think of the vapor, there truly is a momentary and an unpredictable nature to it. But also there's a nature of great power to that vapor. Vapor is something as simple as just H2O, water that is evaporated, water that is turned from a liquid state to now a gaseous state and is drifting upwards to the heavens above. It's something small, something in which you could just wave your hand across and it dissipates and disappears. James says our life is that fragile and that quick in the realm of eternity. But also when you look at vapor and that, what that vapor can do, we need to recall upon our hearts one day when that scientist, whomever it was, who looked upon that boiling kettle and seeing that metal lid upon that kettle being pushed and becoming a jar just by nothing more than the pressure of the vapor that was inside of that kettle. It was just vapor, that's all it was, but when it was channeled and when it was concentrated and when it was focused, it would become stronger than even that heavy lid sitting upon that kettle itself. That scientist would then explore in taking those vapors and concentrating them and channeling them even further those vapors would then begin to be used in what we call as steam trains or steam locomotives as those uh, as that simple vapor would begin to power those incredibly strong wheels of that train pulling that mighty weight behind it it is incredible at what the vapors of water that simple uh, a seemingly minuscule and seemingly defenseless uh, a vapor can do when it is channeled and when it is concentrated and when it is put to a purpose in which can perform, in which man can only dream of doing. Those heavy tra trains can do more than what man could ever envision doing. Those uh, huge pieces of machinery in years have gone by and in so many places still do channeled through uh, uh, channeled through the vapor and through steam amazingly perform great and monumental tasks it is incredible at what these things can do off of just a simple vapor that is concentrated James reminds us that the fragile the fragileness of our life but I also believe on the other side, he is teaching us as Christians what God can do with the fragileness of our vapor of our life, the fragileness of human frailty when channeled, when focused upon, upon the will of God. God can use weak, simple men to do mighty things for God. Isn't it an incredible thing that God can use a weak, sinful man to do mighty things in preaching the gospel around the world? That he can use a 
simple voice to carry across radio waves, hear, uh, uh, reaching the ears of many of Muslims. Isn't it phenomenal that a simple video cast can reach into Muslim countries, seeing hundreds, yea, thousands, and even millions come to know to Christ as their Savior? It is incredible that what a simple vapor, a simple frail thing can be done in the hands of a mighty God. Our God can take the vapor of our life and do incredible things with it. It is incredible what God can do when we focus and we follow upon His will. There is one tonight in which has demonstrated this very thing that is determined to do exactly what verse number 15 says. Notice what James continues. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will we shall live and do this or that. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, gave us this example of the power of living in the will of His Father. Jesus Christ, when He came back from praying and fasting for 40 days, He would then resist Satan's temptations, follow His Father in obedience to baptism. And the Holy Spirit would anoint him for his ministry as it began. In Luke chapter 5, we read Jesus retreating to a desert to pray. And as he would come back from the desert, he would be ready to face Pharisees and doctors who would question and even accuse his teaching and ministry. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus sought the solitude of the mountain to pray to then appoint 12 men as he would return to be his apostles, the 12 disciples as we often call them. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus withdrew from the thousands to pray and then returned to challenge the hearts of the disciples asking a very simple question of who he is. And Peter would wonderfully state, Thou art the Christ of God. Eight days later, after that monumental testimony of, G uh, of Peter uh, 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 demonstrating who Jesus Christ is, we would find him again praying in a mount called Hermon, where he would be transfigured before a few of his disciples. And then he would begin preparing his disciples for the crucifixion that would follow. The disciples knew Jesus' prayer life and would ask him to teach them to pray. In Luke chapter 22, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying exactly what James teaches us here in verse number 15. Notice what the Bible teaches in Luke 22, verse number 42. We'll show it on the screen. Write it down if you want to look at it later. Jesus saying, Father, if thou be willing, if thou be willing, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus Christ set example, a high example for us to follow, a high example for us to look to upon one who had a life that was surrendered to the will of God. Even on the cross as Jesus Christ hung there, drenched in blood, knowing that his life was about to end or that he was about to give up the ghost, the Bible tells us that even then he prayed and spoke to his Father. Over and over and over again we see Jesus Christ praying and knowing the mind and heart of his Father, of God 
what a wonderful thing it is that we too can pray and we can know the very heart of our God. We can know the mind of God. God has given us his word to give us instruction. My friends, how important it is for us to understand that if we allow our lives, which is a simple vapor, to be used in the mighty will of God, God can do great things, not because of us, but in spite of us. God can use our simple voices to demonstrate the gospel and to preach the gospel of Christ to regions beyond this world, not because we have an eloquent voice, not because of how we can profoundly state a truth, but because of the power of the word of God that uses a frail tongue to further the good news of Jesus Christ. God can do great things through weak vapor. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is to submit our will to the Lord's. James teaches us, if the Lord will, to say, if the Lord will, oh, if God would want me to do that, if I plan, if God would want me to plan on that, if God would want me to plan on that missions trip, if God would want me to plan on giving that to missions, if God would want me to plan on giving that to help His uh, help His word go forth, if God would want me to uh, be a part in this area, if God would want me to help in that, I want to follow and I want to be exactly where the will of God has for my life. And my friends, that future may never happen. God may choose to take our life before that that happens but we have a heart that is peaceful understanding that we are yielded to God that we are following what God has for us we have prayed and we have focused upon the Lord and we are determined to continue allowing God to move and shape our lives as he chooses and deems we need more of that today so many Christians want to do things their way their will their their hearts their minds just like the rich man that Jesus spoke of. We need some Christians today that truly are surrendered and yielded to the heart of God, who are willing to follow as God leads and prescribes. Lastly, James gives us the words of understanding given to guide us. Look at verse number 16. But now, Ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. James warns us, like the wisdom of Proverbs warns us in Proverbs 27.1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. There was a colleague of John, <coughs> excuse me, of James, a man who worked with James in the same ministry, in the same church, that could and surely gave this testimony over and over again. I wonder if this was part of the impression that the Holy Spirit used to pen these words. A man named Peter who when Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me, not once, not twice, but thrice. Peter looked to Jesus Christ and vehemently, firmly stated, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. I can only picture the stressed and the 
uh, uh, deliberate tone in which Peter stated this to Jesus Christ. Firmly stating, I'm not going to deny you, Jesus. I'm not going to do what you spoke of. Yet we find within just a few hours of that very statement, we find him asleep when Jesus had asked him to pray. I wonder, and this is only speculation, conjecture, that if Peter would have followed Jesus' instructions to pray, if he would have had the wherewithal or the yielded heart to stay true to Jesus Christ instead of going on a, on a venture in which he ought not to go. But when Jesus asked him to pray, Peter slept. When Peter was awoken out of his sleep, soldiers were there to take away Jesus Christ. The sword Peter had gotten earlier would then be swung out in a defensive fear, cutting the ear off of one of the priests. Jesus would immediately tell Peter to put away the sword. And Peter would then follow a distance away from the soldiers, from Jesus. Keeping within eyesight, keeping within being able to see Christ. And the Bible teaches us that he would then begin his denial. He then began to do exactly what he boasted he would not do. He would find himself denying Jesus Christ not once, not twice. But upon that third time, using an oath as the means to which he would uh, make his denial of Christ firm and yet and compound it with cursing and swearing words. Peter himself, boasting, I will not deny thee, did indeed deny Jesus Christ. We don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. And our prideful boasting may do exactly what it did to Peter. When we pridefully state, I'm never going to do this, I'm never going to do that, no one can make me do that, those prideful moments of boasting exposes our attitude and our trust in our own plans and in our own preparations. It exposes where our heart lies, where we are focusing upon. It exposes the trust in ourselves. Look at verse number 17 and we're done. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. May I recall our minds quickly to the Good Samaritan. Another parable that Jesus Christ gave us. A story that relays a principle of truth. The Bible teaches us that there was a man who was beaten, sorely beaten. 
he was left dead on the side of the road. And a priest coming back from Jerusalem saw this man beaten, helpless, suffering. This priest coming back from Jerusalem had certainly been handling some holy things in and around the sanctuary, the temple. Certainly there may have been some officiating at the altar there as he would help and advise people regarding their sacrifices and helping with those very offerings. Maybe there was even some ministering in the very sanctuary itself, teaching the very law that he would neglect in just a short time later. And as this priest who dealt and handled with people and helped even the sacrifices to be performed, he would see this man and pass by on the other side. James spoke of this incredible attitude when he said pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. James condemned that type of thinking of simply re, uh, simply rejecting those who were struggling, but rather to help those in need, to do good. The Levite would then be following the priest in his footsteps. This Levite knew the law. He knew that Deuteronomy 22 and Exodus chapter 23 spoke of helping one's neighbor, specifically speaking of something that was of far less importance, of that of an animal like an ox. An ox that maybe was hurt or lost or even stuck somewhere. And this animal that was hurt of notifying the owner of it and helping bringing that animal back to the proper owner and the importance and the instruction to help in that way. And here as this Levite who knew the law, who knew what God instructed, saw this man, a man of far more importance than any farm animal could ever be. When he looked upon that man, he would pass by on the other side. This Levite's religion was vain, it was empty, and it was futile. They saw an opportunity to do good and chose to do it not. And James says, to him it is sin. When we know to do good and we choose not to do it, it is sinful. I'm going to ask... Uh, Jonathan, to come up and help me tonight. I'm gonna I'm gonna put him on the spot. All right, come up here. I'm gonna ask you to take this microphone so people can hear. Uh, go ahead and stand here on the platform if you would for just a moment. Now, Jonathan, I'm gonna I'm gonna re relay a story. It says it happened, but I'm gonna relay a story, okay? And I want to s I want you to tell me in specific details what you would do, okay? All right, so here's, here's a story. You're out playing. You're playing a ball game outside. You're playing for some time. Your brothers are all playing, and you're the only one that comes into home. 
into the house. And as you come into the house, just mommy is there. And mom is laying on the sofa and has suddenly become very ill. She's laying there, hurting, miserable, not well at all. And as you enter the house, you notice that there's a sink full of dirty dishes and some toys strewn out upon the floor as mommy was hoping to clean but was not able to because she suddenly began to feel very poorly. What would you do? <laughs> and ask the brothers to help. I like that adding right there. That's a good adding. That was a good. That was a good response, was it not? And uh, clap for him online if you can hear. Yes, can't you hear all the clapping around? It's the whole crowd, the whole community. I can hear clapping outside right now. It's incredible at the response. That was a well-spoken answer, and that was a good response. Why? Because what? What would happen if he knew to do good and chose to do it? Not you can sit down. Thank you. What would the Bible say that would be? The Bible says that would be sin. To know to do good, to know that it was a needed time, a needed opportunity, and choose not to do so, it is sinful. You see, God desires for us to live in the present, where we are now, following and obeying his will following his leading for our lives. There is nothing wrong with planning for the future. But if we plan for the future at the expense of God's will for the moment, that is when it becomes sinfulness. We ought to truly to do everything with the yieldness and a heart that is wanting to follow the will of God. Let's live presently. Let's live now, focusing upon the will of God. Let's live today like God would want us to. Let's stop saying, next year I'll start reading my Bible. Next month I'll start praying. Next week I'll start witnessing or I'll tell someone else the gospel. Next you fill in the blank. I'll start following God in this area. Let's stop doing that. And let's begin to see that God is speaking to my heart. God has a plan. And I'm going to now choose to do good. This is wisdom. This is understanding that God has a purpose for me now. As we move to days ahead. We don't know what God's going to do with us tomorrow, but we know if we're following God's will today and we continually yield and submit our life and our will to God, or as Paul said, dying daily to Christ, dying to self, dying to one's own, am own ambitions, and simply focusing and yielding to God, God can and use that vapor Think about it. Pray about this. And I encourage you to yield to the will of God.